welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. I'm going to read you a story first. Okay. Have you have have I mentioned this book to you before? Brennan Manning, The Furious Longings of God. Nope. That's good. Okay. So I'm going to read. I'm going to read three stories from here today. And I hope you don't mind me stealing someone else's stories. It's called The Furious Longings of God. And the author <clears throat> is Brennan, B-R-E-N-N-A-N, Manning, M-A-N-N-I-N-G. A total of six N's in his name. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm just going to read this to you and then we'll, we'll talk about it a bit. Okay, is that all right? Yeah. Now, Brennan Manning, just so you know, is, um, or was, he uh, he's, he's in heaven now, um, is an amazing guy uh, with a Catholic background who has um, spent spent 40 years helping others experience the reality of God's love and grace. It's at the heart of everything he's written and done. He's a recovering alcoholic and a former Franciscan priest. Okay? He's taught seminars, spoken to packed arenas, lived in a cave and laboured with the poor in Spain... best known as the author of the contemporary classics, The Ragamuffin Gospel and Abba's Child, Ruthless Trust and the Importance of Being Foolish. I haven't read all of those. Um, anyway, here we go. Ready? So back in the late 1960s, I was teaching at a university in Ohio and there was a student on campus who by society's standards would have been called ugly. He was short extremely obese, had a terrible case of acne, a bad lisp, and his hair was growing like Lancelot's horse in four directions at once. He wore the uniform of the day, a t-shirt that hadn't been washed since the Spanish-American War, jeans with a butterfly on the back, and of course, no shoes. In all my days, I had never met anyone with such low self-esteem. He told me that when he looked in the mirror each morning, he spat at it. And of course, no campus girl would date him. No fraternity wanted him as a pledge. He walked into my office one day and said with his lisp evident, Ah, you're a new face on campus. Well, my name is Larry Mullaney and I'm an athnostic. I said, you're a what? He repeated himself. And I said, wow, congratulations. If you ever get to be an atheist, I'll take you to dinner and we'll celebrate your conversion. The story I'm about to tell you is what got, what Larry got for Christmas one year. Christmas came along for Larry Mullaney and he found himself back with his parents in Providence, Rhode Island. Larry's father is a typical lace curtain Irishman. Now there's a lot of Irish people in America, okay, and they bring their Irish traditions and lace curtains 
in, in your window are one of those. Okay, so typically Irish. They're a lace curtain Irish and they're a shanty Irish. A lace curtain Irishman, even on the hottest day in summer, will not come into the dining room without wearing a suit, usually a dark pinstripe, starched white shirt, and a tie swollen at the top. He will never allow his sideburns to grow to the top of his ears, and he will always speak in a low, subdued voice. Well, Larry comes to the dinner table that first night home, smelling like a billy goat. He and his father have the usual uh, number of quarrels and reconciliations. And thus begins a typical vacation in the Mullaney household. Several nights later, Larry tells his father he's got to get back to school the next day. What time, son? Six o'clock. Well, I'll ride the bus with you. The next morning, the father and son ride the bus in silence. They get off the bus as Larry has to catch a second one to get to the airport. Directly across the street are six men standing under an awning. All the men work in the same textile factory as Larry's father. They begin making loud and degrading remarks like, Oink, oink, look at that fat pig. I tell you, if that pig was my kid, I'd hide him in the basement. I'd be so embarrassed. Another one said, I wouldn't. If that slob was my kid, he'd be out the door so fast, he wouldn't know if he's on foot or horseback. Hey, pig, give us your best oink. These brutal salvos continued. Larry Mullaney told me that in that moment, for the first time in his life, his father reached out and embraced him, kissed him on the lips and said, Larry, if your mother and I live to be 200 years old, that wouldn't be long enough to thank God for the gift he gave us. In you. I am so proud that you are my son. It would be hard to describe in words the transformation that took place in Larry Mullaney, but I'll try. He came back to school and remained a hippie, but cleaned up as best he could. Miracle of miracles, Larry began dating a girl. And top it off, to top it off, he became the president of one of the fraternities. By the way, he was the first student in the history of our university to graduate with a 4.2 grade point average. Hi, Rose. Larry Mullaney had a brilliant mind. Larry came into my office one day and said, tell me about this man, Jesus. And for the next six weeks... In half-hour instalments, I shared with Larry what the Holy Spirit had revealed to me about Jesus. At the end of those six weeks, Larry said, OK. On June the 14th, 1974, Larry Mullaney was ordained a priest in the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. And for the past 20 years, he's been a missionary in South America, a man totally sold out to Jesus Christ. Do you know why? It wasn't because of the six weeks sitting in Brennan Manning's office while I talked about Jesus. No. 
give me a minute. It was because of a day long ago, during a Christmas vacation, standing at a bus stop, when his lace curtain Irish father healed him. Yes, his father healed him. His father had the guts to get out of the foxhole and choose the high road of blessing in the face of cursing and taunts. His father looked deeply into his son's eyes, saw the good in Larry Mullaney that Larry couldn't see for himself, affirmed him with a furious love and changed the whole direction of his son's life. Now you've already done the Father Heart Week um, and I'm not about to redo the Father Heart Week for you. But that is a Father Heart story because it gives us a picture of how our Heavenly Father loves us. And what our Heavenly Father sees in us that we can't see in us. And in that kiss, he calls to those things deep within you. says, I love you. You're mine. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. You're mine. You belong to me. And... I want to show you a picture. You've seen this picture before. Come on, baby. Warm up. He's mine. He's ours. He's my son, our son, Tim. He's not yours. mine. It belongs to me. And I want to love him the way my Heavenly Father loves me. He belongs. And when you know you belong, everything changes. Everything changes. Okay? So, you know, we've talked about the fact, haven't we, in the, in the previous weeks about the, God says he's chosen us. Do you remember that? We're his masterpiece. We talked about being royal, magnificent. You know, last week we watched that butterfly circus thing. And I'm just... My passion is to throw all these truths at you, right? Like paintball you with them, you know, splatter you. Um, 
so that you get so they get ingrained um I, I forgive me i i forget when i've when i've told the stories but um if if i've told you this one before i'll i'll tell you again hi beth um a few years ago i was i was very privileged you can come join the circle beth come on um uh to to take a a short mission trip to a place called uh, Myanmar which you may know as Burma incredible place it's you know in the Asia near Thailand and uh, I came back after about five days didn't I and I think I was I was I was gone like about a week but two days traveling and I it was a few days later wasn't it when Sharon said to me words that I'll probably remember forever she said, Andy, you stink. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, thank you for that. Um, and she could smell Burma. And it wasn't a very pleasant, you know, it was a bit toxic. It was a bit hot and sticky and spicy. And, well, what was it? What, you know, just not very pleasant. Okay. Now, um, I, hadn't, I hadn't consciously soaked, you know, I hadn't gone for a spice bath, you know, I hadn't rubbed the stuff into my skin, but it got ingrained, okay? So much so that you could smell it. And that's not a particularly pleasant example, but I want us to be so ingrained, right? that we stink of Jesus. Because it does talk in, I think, one of Paul's letters, I think it's to the Corinthians, Second Corinthians, I think, about how we're the fragrance of Jesus. And that one of the ways we get the, you know, get smelling is to just get close. Don't we? Let's absorb. And so, I'm, you know, you're here, you're in this close proximity, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to soak you, okay, I'm going to, what's the word, marinade, is that right? Yeah. Um, Rebecca's doing the uh, uh, curry cooking alternative small group. She had some homework last week. She had to marinate her, her, her meat ready for tonight. Um, so, you're just gonna get you're gonna get these little truths that just hopefully you know go in in in, Tell, like Nikki's saying on on Sundays, for you to grab hold of something you need to hear it 21 times. So you're just gonna I'm gonna tell you week after week after week how amazing you are, right? How you are God's masterpiece, how you are royal, how you are chosen. And the reality of your belonging. Because these are the things, these little truths are the things that have impacted my life so incredibly and transformed me as a person. And when you know you belong, it changes everything. And he belongs to me. He 
he's mine. There's nothing I wouldn't do for him. So, have you all got a piece of paper? Little, well, you've got something to write on. Okay. Because um, we're going to watch a little video now. And... Uh, Well, it'll it'll be made plain, hopefully. Uh. <laughs> okay. Sound. Did you see that then? She held up a little piece of paper.
Do me a favour. Write on your piece of paper that word. It's a strange word. I don't know whether you have a any an exact equivalent word in in German. Um, it's not a word that really is very modern um, and it doesn't really flow very often in conversation. You don't hear many people go, oh, hello, beloved, do you? It's not, it's not a particularly common word. Um, so I thought it might help to have a definition. Um, and uh, Merriam-Webster, you know, online dictionary, the fount of all knowledge. Um, the definition of beloved is greatly loved and dear to the heart. And the challenge for us when we try and understand that God calls us his beloved, is that our experience of natural love here on this earth, probably at some point in, in your life, will have been tainted. Well, you will have, you will have it, your, your, your understanding of love, your experience of receiving love, Unfortunately, it's very unlikely to have been without blemish. So the challenge we have when we try and understand God as love is that our experience of love, no matter how great it's been, will probably at some point have had some uh, negative aspects to it. So God's, God's left then in a bit of a quandary because how does he express himself to us in a way that we don't like look through a lens at um, the lens being our own experience? And I don't have an easy answer to that, um, but I will, I'm going to talk more on Sunday about this whole love word. Okay. But for now, we're concentrating on what it is to be beloved, dear to the heart. So, um, has somebody got a Bible? Um if you could look up, uh, so what is that? An NIV? Have you got a? Most of them will be virtually the same. Oh, NLT. NLT, oh, that's good. Do you, on your, oh, what's that one? NIV. Oh, right, okay. NIV, okay. So on your phone, can you look up? Um, 
a version other than the NIV and the NLT of um, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. So we'll have the NIV version, we'll have the NLT version. We got an NASB. They, they may well... The Passion Translation, okay. Of Matthew... Sorry? All right, NASB. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. Okay, amplify. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. So, uh, when, years and years ago, um, we had a dance and drama group here, and we used to do a passion play at Easter every year, and I had a great job in this. I had a great part in this passion play. Because one of the scenes that we uh, enacted as part of the play was that occasion where um, heaven opens. We, we couldn't really do the heaven opening bit. And this voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I got to be the voice of God. It was quite, quite a privilege so, you know, for a few years, every Easter, we would go around places and do this passion play. And I would get to speak those words over the guy that played Jesus, who was Sarah. You know Sarah Steer? It was her dad. Her dad was Jesus. And um, I used to have to put on this really, you know, posh, deep voice and speak slowly because that's how God speaks you know? <laughs> this dramatically this is my beloved son and all of a sudden I didn't come from Manchester I came from Oxford or somewhere you know because I spoke like the key queen um, but it's a it's a key verse and i just want to i just want us to read it in different translations it probably says virtually the same thing but we'll we'll just go around so this is from the the NASB new american standard bible okay go on go on That's winning at the moment. <laughs> Go on. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Okay. Yeah. This is the story. Then suddenly the voice of the Father shouted from the sky, saying, This is the son I love, and my greatest delight is in him. Ah. 
I just encourage you, you know, just with the with the, the technology that's available to you now, you can access very quickly the riches of different now there's not one I'm not gonna say, well that's the real translation. Okay. They're just different like flavours. Different you know, colours if you like. But the same truth. Just have you have you closed it? Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, did you keep the? Okay, go on again. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And what did you say? This is the son I love. My greatest delight is in him. Now. The challenge to us is, I, I, what I actually, what, it's just a little joke. I think it's quite, quite interesting that how many, how many did, we, how many well pleased did we have? Were you a well pleased? You were a well pleased? No, you weren't. We had two or three well pleased. Now that's a very Manchester twenty first century phrase, isn't it? I'm well, well, well pleased. Well, we won't say pleased. We say chuffed. Won't we? I'm well chuffed, right? <laughs> All right. So you see, God's slightly more up to date than than you think he is. <laughs> Tell us about being well pleased. Um, I mean, what does it mean to be well pleased? That is that good English. Sorry, Greg. I don't know. You know, well pleased. That's an unusual phrase, isn't it? I am well pleased with you. I mean, I'm either pleased or I'm not pleased. Why do I need to be well pleased? Um, I suppose it's just it's just putting some emphasis on that word. And I think I think I'm right in saying that at this point, Jesus has not done any miracles. Um, this is this is God sort of introducing him to everybody and telling the world how happy he is how happy he is to reveal his son how much he loves him and it's not because of anything he's done and i know we know that but we we constantly need to be reminded of that okay you are his son or daughter because you are not because of anything you've done he's pleased with you because you're his son or daughter, not because of anything you've done or the fact that you've not done things he doesn't like or anything like that. It's just who you are. And you belong to him. You are his beloved sons and daughters. <sighs> okay. I'm going to read you another story. And you just, you know, I'm just like bombarding you with, with, the, with the very simple but profound truth that you belong and you are his beloved. 
Okay. You ready? Since moving to New Orleans, I've gotten deeply involved in the only leper colony inside in the United States. It's found in Carville, Louisiana, about 20 miles southwest of Baton Rouge. I've been there many, many times. I go from room to room visiting the lepers, victim of Hansen's disease. On one occasion, as I was coming up the front steps, a nurse came running toward me and said, Brennan, can you come quick and pray with Yolanda? She's dying. I always carry the holy oils with me to anoint any who desire it. I went up to Yolanda's room on the second floor and sat on the edge of the bed. Yolanda is a woman 37 years old. Five years ago, before the leprosy began to ravage, she must have been one of the most stunningly beautiful creatures God ever made. I do not mean just a cute, pretty or even attractive woman. I mean the kind of blindingly physical beauty that causes men and women on the street to stop and stare. In pictures, Yolanda had the largest, most mesmerizing, most translucent brown eyes I've ever seen. Set in this exquisitely chiseled face with high cheekbones, long brown hair down to a slender waist. But that was then. Now, her nose is pressed into her face. Her mouth is severely contorted. Both ears are distended. She has no fingers on either hand. Just two little stumps. One of the first effects of leprosy is losing all sensitivity in your extremities, toes and fingers. A leper can rest her hand on a burning hot stove and feel absolutely nothing. This often leads to gangrene and eventually demands amputation. Yola Yolanda just had these two little stumps. Two years earlier, her husband had divorced her because of the social stigma attached to leprosy. And he had forbidden their two sons, boys aged 14 and 16, from ever visiting their mother. The father was an alcoholic, complete with frequent violent mood swings. The boys were terrified of him, so they dutifully obeyed. <clears throat> As a result, Yolanda was dying an abandoned, forsaken woman. I anointed Yolanda with oil and prayed with her. As I turned around to put the top back on the bottle of oil, the room was filled with a brilliant light. I had, it had been raining when I came in, I didn't even look up, but said, thanks, Abba, for the sunshine. I bet that will cheer up Yolanda. As I turned round to look at her, and if I ever live to be oh, 300 years old, I'll never be able to find the words to describe what I saw. Her face was like a sunburst over the mountains, like a thousand sunbeams, streaming out of her face, literally so brilliant, I had to shield my eyes. I said to her, Yolanda, you appear to be very happy. With her slight Mexican-American accent, 
she said, Oh, Father, I am so happy. I asked her, Will you tell me why you're so happy? She replied, The Abba of Jesus just told me he would take me home today. I vividly remember the hot tears rolling down my cheeks. After a lengthy pause, I asked just what the Abba of Jesus had said. Yolanda replied, Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. For you, the winter has passed, the snows are over and gone. The flowers appear in the land. The season of joyful songs has come. The cooing of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Come now, my love, my Yolanda, come. Let me see your face and let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is beautiful. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. Six hours later, her little leprous body was swept up into the furious love of her Abba. Later that same day, I learned from the staff that Yolanda was illiterate. She had never read the Bible or any book, for that matter, in her entire life. I surely had never repeated those words to her in any of my visits. I was, as they say, a man undone. You see... <laughs> We think it's about us, and it's not, it's about him, it's about him, and his relentless pursuit of us. There is a dying woman who has never read the Bible quoting Song of Songs. Come away. I just want to be with you. You are so beautiful. You are so lovely. A battered, leprous body. And Abba says, come here. Come here. Your body may not be battered with leprosy. It doesn't matter. 
the Abba of Jesus still wants to say to you, come here, my beloved. This is where you belong. This is where you belong. I'm going to show you another video. Um, that uh, hopefully helps you really get hold of the fact that it's not about what we deserve. Deserving has got nothing to do with anything. Okay. Desire. Right. It's about desire. It's about his desire for you. And the fact that your father will go to any length to demonstrate his love for you. Because he wants you to know that you are his beloved and you belong. You may have seen this before. doesn't really matter. You need to see it again. Okay? Registration for the 25th Ironman continues one by one. Some faces we recognize. Here is 58-year-old Richard Holcomb, number 214, back for a second try. He's legally blind and it doesn't matter to him. No, the thing that must occur at all costs is this time, cross the line. It's more than a race. It's a lifetime event that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. They're either going to carry me off the course or um, I'm going to cross the finish line. The stories about people like Richard Holcomb passed through this world as race week moves toward this morning. Hey, did you hear about the man who is legally blind? People love to tell and love to hear the stories. Then, appearing near the start line, where they've been before, are father and son, Dick and Ricky Hoyer. There is no one here who hasn't heard about them, their story, and a human commitment that goes far beyond and far back.
Boston Bruins were going for the Stanley Cup, and the very first words Rick ever said was, go Bruins. Dick is a military man, so he knows a thing or two about commitment. This time, he's just months removed from a heart attack. This gift that he gives to his son, or is it the other way around? Either way, it all started when Rick heard about a charity run for a paralyzed athlete. He asked Dad, and Dad said yes. and everybody thought that Rick and I would just go to the corner and turn around and come back. Well, we didn't. We finished the whole five miles coming in next to last, but not last. And when we got home that night, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability disappears. So that was a very powerful message to me that we finally found a sport that Rick could get involved in just like everybody else. inspires me. To me, he's the one out there competing, and I'm just loaning him my arms and my legs so that he can compete. There's just something that gets into me when I'm out there competing with Rick that I can't explain it, and we're able to go faster. And it's just an unbelievable feeling. Rick and I love the Ironman Triathlon be out there competing with the best triathletes in the world to be accepted to compete along with these triathletes. Just to be out there on that pier with all the other triathletes and then waiting in the water for that cannon to go off, it was just so exciting. The feeling coming down the finish line at the leaky drive, it's just an awesome experience with the crowd there all the excitement, the noise, and the announcers announcing all that, the adrenaline just gets flowing.
Have you seen that before? I don't want to, in any way, glory, uh, glory in the disability, okay, and draw an unnecessary conclusion from it. But we try very hard. <laughs> we feel obliged to try and pay God back. By doing things, as wonderful as they might be, in order to repay this debt of love that we feel we owe him. But the reality is, we just can't repay that debt. And, you know, short of an amazing miracle... Rick will never push his dad <laughs> in a wheelchair. He can never repay him. But that's not the point. The point is, his dad loves him. Loves him so much. This is an expression, a deeply profound expression of what it looks like for a dad to love his kid. Now, what is the equivalent with God? <laughs> there isn't one, is there? But the reason I want to keep, keep on banging this drum is because we just need to know we are so deeply loved so deeply loved you will never comprehend the you know the enormity of that love what does it mean to be dear to god's heart you can't that's why i said before it's not a in a sense it's not a subject that we can talk about and teach so much as we just have to experience by revelation deep in our inner beings. Let's look at another verse. Get your Bibles out again. Going to change tack slightly. I want to look at Song of Songs chapter 6 and verse 3. Chapter 6 and verse 3 of Song of Songs. Excuse me. Chapter 6 and verse 3. Okay, are we, are we all there? Yeah? Miriam? I am my lover, and my lover is mine. He draws his lover. Ophelia? I am my lover, and my lover is mine. 
Okay. He is within me. I am his garden of delight. I have him fully and now he fully has me. Wow. <laughs> Sharon, you're you're more expert than I am. What does it mean to browse among the lilies? <laughs> in the in the realm of flowers and things. Does anybody know what browsing among the lilies? No. Does anybody want to pitch in? Pastures his flock. It's just quite, you know, I, I just think, what does that, what does it mean? Browsing among the lilies, pasturing his flock. I don't have an answer. <laughs> and, um, it's for you to go away and discover if you want. Uh, but I want you to get comfortable, more comfortable with this idea, this, this, not this idea, this reality that you and God are beloved. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with, if you go back to the chapter two, or no, it might be one, no, two, he called all his lilies. Ah. You, you probably so 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 the so the beautiful the beautiful um, reality of life here in the school is that you are going to spend some time unpacking Song of Songs, aren't you? Sharon is going to be doing that quite a bit over the the, the weeks to come. So hopefully, like she's alluding to there, that verse will get a bit more context. But it's, it's just that basic reality. I am my beloved's and he is mine. Sharon is my beloved. She is mine. And I choose her constantly. I choose to lavish my love on her. Okay? My yes to her is my no to everyone else. She is mine. She is my beloved. There's nothing I wouldn't do for her. We belong to each other. And it's like that with us and God. <laughs> Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We belong to each other. We are his beloved. So I'm just going to read you one more song. Uh, read you one more song. I'm going to read you one more little story. And then 
I'm just going to play a song, okay? And um, we're going to listen to it, and it's a song, um, I think, uh, I don't know whether Chris did the whole song on Sunday, but um, we're going to do, we're going to listen to the whole song. Um, and I just want us to, you know, just be still before God and allow him to touch us deep, 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 deep inside. And come around and pray for you whilst you're listening to the song. Okay, and then it'll be time for coffee. All right? Okay. I will never forget a retreat experience years ago in the Midwest. It was a rather large gathering, about 7,000 people. An invitation for healing prayer followed each night's service. I would go into a side room and meet with those who felt compelled to come. On one particular night, the line extended well beyond midnight. And after finishing, I went straight to bed not even taking my clothes off, I was so exhausted. About three o'clock in the morning, I heard a knock on the door and a squeaky little voice. Brennan, can I talk to you? I opened the door to find a 78-year-old nun. She began to cry. Sister, what can I do for you? We found two chairs in the hallway and her story began. I've never told anyone this in my entire life. It started when I was five years old. My father would crawl into my bed with no clothes on. He would touch me there and tell me to touch him there. He said, it's what our family doctor said we should do. When I was nine, my father took my virginity. By the time I was 12, I knew of every kind of sexual perversion you read about in dirty books. Brennan, do you have any idea how dirty I feel? I've lived with so much hatred of my father and hatred of myself that I could only go to com communion when my absence would be conspicuous. In the next few minutes, I prayed with her for healing. Then I asked her if she would find a quiet place every morning for the next 30 days, sit down in a chair, close her eyes, upturn her palms, and pray this one phrase over and over. It's a prayer of exactly seven syllables, the number that corresponds perfectly to the rhythm of our breathing. Abba, I belong to you. As you inhale, Abba. As you exhale, I belong to you. 
Through her tears, she agreed, yes, Brennan, I will. One of the most moving and poetic follow-up letters I've ever received came from this dear sister. In it, she described the inner healing of her heart, a complete forgiveness of her father, and an inner peace she'd never known in her 78 years. She concluded her letter with these words. A year ago, I would have signed this letter with my real name in religious life, Sister Mary Genevieve. But from now on, I'm Daddy's little girl. Be aware, this is not sloppy sentimentality or indulgent wishful thinking. But rather, it is a woman who dared to pray in the childlike trust and deep reverence that Jesus said would mark a disciple. And in doing so, discovered the furious love of her Abba. The greatest gift I've ever received in my life in Jesus is the Abba experience. I can only stutter and stammer about the life-changing power of the Abba encounter. My name is Andy Britton and I'm Daddy's little boy. Why don't we put our palms up? Let's put our books down and take some deep breaths. Say with me, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. Just keep saying it to yourself nice and slowly. Abba, I belong to you. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.